Well, it is, we've got a week and a half before Christmas. Can you believe it? Incredible. Um, wow, we had a good time last night. So much fun at the Christmas party. Thank you to everyone who came and shared hey, food. I tell you what, we, there's never a lack of food at Thrive Parties. I, it's amazing to me. We, there's always this moment with our, our pastoral team and our leaders that we go, I hope I hope we're okay. I hope we have enough food and desserts. And then whatever the event is, there's this abundance. We're like, wow, well, maybe we asked too many people. But uh, what a what a fun night! And uh, and just our kids doing the the Christmas story and nativity, uh, all impromptu is just a fun night. And so we'll definitely do that again. Well, we are on week three of a Christmas series entitled "The Gifts of Christmas." And we've been looking at the gifts that were presented to Jesus by the Magi, by the wise men who had come from the East to worship Him. Each one of these gifts uh, has significance. And uh, I want to read the passage out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Uh, If you'd like to follow the passages and the notes for this morning's message, you can find them uh, on the app, uh, the Thrive app. Uh, which you can download online. In fact, there's instructions on the little card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and so those sermon notes are available. It says this in Matthew chapter nine verses about, Matthew chapter two, rather, verses nine through eleven. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we have here these wise men, these magi who've come from the east, from a place that we don't know, we just know that it was east. Uh, And they've arrived here in Bethlehem after searching for Jesus, after following this star. And they traveled a long distance. They'd gone to King Herod and asked if he knew where to find this this baby who had been born, the king of the Jews. Uh, and, and, And then, of course, the star starts moving again, ends up here in Bethlehem. God moves heaven and earth to point out where Jesus is. And so this this entourage of wise men, of these, these men that came from this far distance, shows up in Bethlehem. Uh, we, we assume there were three wise men, three magi, because there were three gifts. But scholars believe there was probably a lot more. There's probably a whole entourage, a whole group that came together, the, the wise men and then everyone that would have come along with them, and they, they arrive here in Bethlehem, and they find Jesus not as a baby laying in a manger in a stable, but they find him as a small child, as a young boy, probably about two years old, uh, in a home, because G- Joseph and Mary had now stayed in Bethlehem. Joseph was uh, a carpenter. He was a construction worker, a builder, uh, and was probably, probably stayed in Bethlehem because there was work to be had, uh, work to be done there. And so, uh, here's Jesus and Mary and, and this whole group that show up, and they, they find the child, they see the star, they're overjoyed, and they present their gifts. And as I've mentioned over these past few weeks, to, you know, we read the story and we're so familiar with the story that I think we can lose a bit of the sense of awe 
and, and wonder and splendor that's all wrapped up in this. This was a big deal. This was a big deal. This group of people showing up in town, everyone would have known about it. There would have, it would have been the talk of the town. What is, what's going on? What's happening? What, what's the deal? What's this, this whole commotion that's happening? And they come to this place, and Jesus is there, and they bow down. Now, picture it. Now, it for, for some of you who have little kids, someone shows up at your house, a whole entourage shows up at your house and selects one of your little toddlers, and then they bow down and start worshiping him or her, well, you're going to be a little freaked out, right? Like, what is going on? Now, Jesus, uh, Mary knows that Jesus is special because of the whole way that he was born. They know that he is special. Joseph knows that he is special. But this must have been overwhelming. And they present these gifts, and they weren't, they didn't just pick them up at the 99 cent store on the way over right? Or five below. That's like the, like if you, if you, if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit better. It's kind of the in-between between Walmart and the 99 cent store, right? I'm going to go to five below. And uh, it's a good, good white elephant gift uh, uh, place to, to go shopping. They come and they, they present these gifts. Each one of these gifts has special significance. We've talked about the gold, and the, and the value and how precious gold was. That gold was something that kings had, Kings possessed gold. Common people didn't possess gold. And we talked about the fact that Jesus was born a king. That even as an infant in that manger, in that stable, as in this state as a small child, that he was already a king. He would not later become a king. That he was already a king. We talked about the frankincense and the significance of frankincense and the sensory experience when people would go to the temple and the tabernacle and, and smell the, the fragrance of the frankincense and how that was associated with the worship of God and, and how here frankincense, where before it had always been presented to an unseen God, now here the wise men bring frankincense and they lay them at the feet of this child who is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. This morning, we're going to talk about the third gift, the gift of myrrh. Now, I don't know about you, but um, one of the things we talked about last night was uh, gifts, maybe your favorite Christmas that you've ever had. Uh, usually, for me, that's centered around the favorite, my favorite gifts. There's like a handful of gifts I've received in my lifetime at Christmas that just really stand out. Um, and and I, I come from, personally... My, my perspective on Christmas gifts is this, that, that Christmas gifts should be fun, right? Because some people give gifts that are nostalgic, right? The gifts, that, gifts that are sentimental. Uh, some people give Christmas gifts that are symbolic, and kind of like the gifts that we're talking about. There's some symbolism, and they like to give a gift that's symbolic or means something, has a deeper meaning. Uh, how many of you are like, I'm the practical, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're the practical gift giver, right? You're like, I'm going to give you something that's going to help you in life. And, and Megan and I had to figure this out in our marriage because she's like, well, I need something, so I'm just going to ask for it for Christmas. No, if you need it, let's just go get it and let's get something fun for Christmas. Right. And, and we had to figure that out in our marriage because we're like, this is, a, this is a pretty big value. But I'm like, Christmas should be, I don't want to open a gift on Christmas morning and go, wow, that's really practical. And I, I wanted to like, 
I want to be like, wow, I wasn't expecting it. That is just so much fun. Last year we were shopping for our kids for Christmas. And of course, our kids are at the age where it's, it's clothes. Really, all they really want is either clothes or gift cards for clothes. That's because pretty much because I can't guess what they want outside of expensive electronics that they're not going to get from us anyway. <laughs> and, and, and so we're shopping and we're like, I'm like, just clothes are boring. Like you need clothes, but I guess you want it. I know some of you are like, no, clothes are fun. Okay, you're weird. Um, so Megan and I are at Costco and they have like these little $15 drones. And, and, and just cheap little drones. And I told Megan, we're getting those for the boys. That's, I'm, we're getting those for the boys. What I was actually saying is, we're getting those for the boys for me. Um, <laughs> and so we loaded, and she, you know, we were like, she's like, well, it's not practical. And yeah, I'm like, no, it's fun. Just get them. And so we wrapped them up. Can I tell you, we're cleaning up, you know, the popcorn ceiling we were cleaning up little popcorn. It looked like it snowed in our house because those drones were flying all. Now, now, here's the deal. They used them probably for the next two or three weeks, maybe a month. And that, right, it, we haven't seen them. I, I've seen them floating, not literally floating around the house, on a shelf, and they'll move around. So they were, they were kind of a one-off. But I got to tell you, we had so much fun Christmas Day. It was a blast. So I'm of the, uh, the fun gift persuasion. Um, the gifts so that the wise men bring served a couple of purposes. Now, I'm sure if you got gold, you would think that was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, that's, who would say that was fun? You got a bar of gold, I'd be like, yeah, that's fun. I can think of all the fun I can have with all that gold. But the gifts that the Magi bring are symbolic and practical, they're symbolic and practical. When we're talking about myrrh, uh, myrrh, like, like frankincense, was, uh, it was extracted from a tree. It was a fragrant tree gum, and it was extremely valuable and very rare. It wasn't easy to come by, and myrrh was uh, used in a lot of different ways. It was a luxury item. It was a luxury item. If you were to go down to a Nordstrom or a Macy's and go to the fragrance counter and select the most expensive bottle of perfume that you could find, which they can get pretty spendy, uh, myrrh would have been on par with that. Myrrh was something that you had, it was very lavish and extravagant, and so you would have only had myrrh if you were very, very wealthy, and so it was reserved for and used by, by the, the, the wealthy. Um, but it was also valuable, and so it was used a lot for trade. It was used a lot in, uh, in commerce. So if you had something that you could pack into small packages, but it would retain a lot of value that was useful in trade. So gold was one of those things, frankincense for sure, but myrrh definitely was one of those items. In fact, we see myrrh in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Genesis, in the story of Joseph when he is sold into slavery by his brothers. It says that they were sitting and they were having a meal and they're trying to decide what they're going to do with, with Joseph. And it says there was a caravan of camels coming by on their way to Egypt and that they were loaded with myrrh. It's interesting, by the way, that in just a few chapters here in the New Testament, we find Jesus and Joseph and Mary making their way from Bethlehem to Egypt. 
And here again, we find myrrh being a part of that story. Of course, the story of Joseph and his life, a foreshadowing or a type of what Jesus would be for us. Uh, And this picture in the Old Testament of who Jesus would be. And so Joseph is sold into slavery and he's taken by this this, uh, group of merchants from his homeland into Egypt. Myrrh could be used either as an oil Uh, as we see in the book of Exodus, and we'll read about that in a minute, or as a resin, uh, and in the resin form it would be used as an incense. Uh, It was used, it had a lot of different uses. Uh, It was used in uh, the making of perfume, Uh, it was used uh, in the making of anointing oil, and it was used uh, as a medicinal purpose or for medicine. Um, If you read in Scripture, it talks about the balm of Gilead, or something that has a medicinal value, and, and myrrh was a part of that. Uh, in fact, myrrh is used to this day in medicine. It's still used in the manufa- manufacture uh, of medicine. Uh, it was used, in fact, as a numbing agent. We read in Mark fifteen twenty three that when Jesus was on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. He did not take it. And so, like I said, it's still used in medicine today. So there's a lot of uses and a lot of significance. I want to look at four distinct aspects of myrrh as it pertains to Jesus and why it was significant that the Magi would bring this particular gift to him on this particular day. So the first thing is this. Myrrh reminds us of Jesus' divinity and royalty. It reminds us that he was not like other people. Now remember, he's a little boy living in just a common average town. His dad, Joseph, is not anything special. He's he's a blue-collar worker. His mom is a stay-at-home mom. And they're just an average, normal Jewish family. Yet when the Magi show up, they bring him these gifts that are not intended for normal, average people. See, the presentation of myrrh to Jesus is a reminder of who he is, of that, that royalty, of his divinity, of his position. In Matthew 2, 1 through 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so the the Magi see the star, and they know that it is in line with the prophecies that they've read about and what they've heard from God about the fact that Jesus would be born, and he would be born king of the Jews. And so they come to give honor to this king. You see, the custom in those days is when a new king was installed, when a new king ascended to the throne, that people from the surrounding nations would come and that they would pay honor to that king. They would come and and show their respect. And, And the way that they would show that respect is that they would bring gifts, valuable gifts that were worthy of a king. Now, in a lot of those customs and a lot of those ways, that what they were trying to do was gain favor. They were trying to buy favor and say, you know what, we, we're good, right? You're not going to attack us, right? I brought you some cool gifts, so, all right? But in this case, Jesus had nothing to offer because he was a child. 
Yet the Magi come, and they know that he has been born the king of the Jews, and so they bring him all of the gifts that they would have brought to an adult who had just ascended to the throne, who had just been coronated as a king. But because Jesus was already a king, again, this reminder through this gift, it's a statement of Jesus' divinity and of his royalty. The Magi knew that he was born the king of the Jews, and they worshipped him accordingly. Again, the irony in this is that they were foreigners. That foreigners came and worshipped him, that even those that, knew, that were a part of his people did not recognize who he was. And so, as I mentioned, this, this myrrh used, was reserved for the wealthy, especially in its form as a perfume. And so they bring something to Jesus that was really above his station, above his place in life. They present these gifts to Joseph and Mary, and it would have been, these gifts were monumental in what they not only meant symbolically, but practically, the value that they had. By the way, the oil of myrrh was used to anoint kings. Another aspect, another facet of the significance of this gift from the, from the Magi to Jesus is the, that myrrh was reserved for and used in the anointing of kings as they ascended to the throne. And so another facet, it's amazing to me, and it should be amazing to us, how there's these different aspects, these little parts of Scripture. Remember, remember doing connect the dots, little drawings where you would connect the, anyone? Yeah, those were a lot of fun. I liked doing them when I, I was a kid, especially when you get a little bit older and they got a little more complicated, right? Sometimes Scripture's like that. There's these little aspects, these little stories, and there are little elements in Scripture. So, so myrrh, we find myrrh all throughout Scripture. We find it in Exodus. We find it in Genesis. We, we find it, yeah, even the name of uh, Esther, Queen Esther, her, her real name was Hadassah. And that, the, her, that name Hadassah is, is derived from the, the name Myrtle, which is a part of the same family as, as myrrh. And here's this woman who puts her life on the line to save her people. Coincidence? Not at all. God is going to great lengths to connect the dots for us, to make a declaration to say, I love you, and I have a plan for you, and I'm at work in your lives. And we have the benefit of all of Scripture to look back and go, look how much God loves us that he would connect all of these dots for our benefit. And so myrrh is one of those places where we see these connections. Jesus being presented with myrrh, something that was used not just for the wealthy, but to anoint kings. But it did have a secondary, secondary purpose in that it was practically valuable. See, because soon after this is Herod, is walking in fear of who this next king would be or this king of the Jews would be. And he's heard, heard from the Magi because they came and inquired of him and said, where, where is this, this baby that's been born king of the Jews? And he's thinking, I'm the king. I'm the, who, who is this baby? And well, you go find him so I can worship him as well, which we know was not his plan at all. And so once the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they go back to their home. And so Herod, who is out of his mind, orders that 
these, these boys under two years old would be murdered in that whole region. And an angel comes to Joseph and warns him, warns him in, a G, in a dream. I'm having trouble with words today. Something in the water. <laughs> warns him in a dream and says, you need to take your family and you need to get out of here. Now listen, if you're a construction worker, you probably don't have enough money saved up for that kind of journey. But all of a sudden, Joseph and Mary have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They have something of incredible value that at just the right time, the provision is made for their lives to be spared. This is the way God moves. Can I tell you this morning that he works the same way for you? That at just the right time, God will move on your behalf. That he will do something in your life and he will provide. And, and, and sometimes you're going, God, where is it? I'm waiting. It's not happening in the time, on the time frame that I'd like it to happen. But just the right time that God will come through, that he will provide. And Joseph and Mary, having been resourced with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, now in the middle of the night, Joseph has this dream, has to pack up his family and leave. And they have the resource they need for their lives to be spared. And so the myrrh reminds us of Jesus' divinity and of his royalty. Secondly, the myrrh reminds us of the Holy Spirit anointing on Jesus' life. See, myrrh was used in the Old Testament as a oil of anointing in the temple and the tabernacle. It says in Exodus chapter 30, verses 23 to 25, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be sacred. Uh, it will be the sacred anointing oil. Later on, he says that this recipe is not to be used uh, or, or copied for common use, for use in other people's lives. Uh, in fact, the, the instruction is so severe, it says this, that if anyone uses this recipe in a common way, that they're to be cut off from the people. It's, pretty, it's a pretty extreme warning uh, from the Lord to the people. Why anointing oil? Why was this important? Well, the anointing oil was used in the temple and the tabernacle for anointing the items that would be used to worship God. And anointing just means this, to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be set apart as holy, that it is no longer common, that it is no longer ordinary, that when it is anointed, that there's something about it that is special, as unto the Lord. And so the temple and the, and the priests were, were, were anointed. The, 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 there were kings that were anointed. And, and the declaration and anointing was this. That this item or this person is no longer just a common person. They are holy. They are set apart for the purposes of God. And so we see this throughout the Bible. We see it in the tabernacle. Man. The tempernacle, how about that? You heard it here today. Let's slow down a little bit. 
There's too much Christmas party last night. That's what it is. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it in the temple. We see it in the anointing of kings when Samuel comes and he anoints King Saul and he anoints King David and says that that oil poured down over their heads and down through their beards. And we see it in the New Testament in the anointing of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit comes upon us, as he comes upon Jesus and as he falls upon the early believers and as he fills our lives. See, the consecration and the setting apart of the holy item is so important. Jesus was set apart. He was divinely appointed to do the work that he did. That he was not ordinary. In bringing myrrh to Jesus, there's a statement that's being made about who he is, about his purpose. That this child was not like any other child. And Mary knew this because of the things the angel had shared. That, that he was special. And, and like every parent thinks their child is special, right? Right? Yes. Camel concerned. They're like, no, mine are, mine are just ordinary. <laughs> every, every mom is like, oh, my child is brilliant. My child is the best. But in Mary's case, it really was. Jesus was something special. I doubt, though, she bragged about that. She says that she treasured those things in her heart. She knew that this child was special. She knew that he was set apart. And this would be, f- be fulfilled later on in John chapter 1. We read this in verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down on and remain is the one who will, be, uh, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. That John, in this, in this moment where Jesus comes down and is baptized in the Jordan River and the, and the dove comes from heaven, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and remains on Jesus in that moment that he was anointed, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he was set apart to do the work that God had called him to do. He was set apart. He was consecrated. There was a special call on his life. And the myrrh is a reminder of that to you and to me. In Acts chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, it says, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Here the Magi presenting this gift of myrrh are pointing towards a moment when Jesus would be anointed not by myrrh but by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God had called him to do in preaching and bringing deliverance and freedom to all those that he ministered to. Third thing is this. It speaks of Jesus' healing power, that he was powerful to heal. Myrrh was used and is still used in medicine. It has physical properties that can bring relief to those who are sick. How much more, though, is Jesus our healer? Jesus is our healer. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought, uh, brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." The presentation of myrrh to Jesus was a a symbolic act of the fact that myrrh would not be the thing that, that brings us healing, that it would be the person of Jesus Christ who would become our healer, that he would bring relief to the broken parts of our lives. We understand in Scripture that uh, anointing is a part of healing, and the anointing with this oil was a part of healing. James says in James 5.14, Is any, any, any one among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so here's the symbolic item, this myrrh, this oil that is placed on people, but now it's not the myrrh that's doing the healing. It's the name of Jesus. It's the power of God moving in people's lives. And so this myrrh points to the the purpose of Jesus' life, to bring relief, not just in the forgiveness of sin, but in the healing of His people, in the making whole of the broken places of our lives. And then finally this morning, myrrh does this. It points to Jesus' sacrificial death. See, myrrh was used as an embalming agent in burial. In those times when someone would die, that the body would be wrapped and it would be preserved. And one of the elements, one of the spices used in that, and one of the the components would have been myrrh. See, Jesus was born with the goal of going to the cross. We all understand this, that everyone who is born, everyone who is born into this world will die. We just try to prolong it as long as possible, right? Right, as long life, that's just kind of the goal. How, how, what can we do? In fact, modern medicine is making it possible for people to live longer than they've ever lived before. How long can I make it? But in Jesus' case, he was born knowing that he would go to the cross, knowing that he would give his life, knowing that he would die a sacrificial Death, And so here is, as a boy, as this young boy standing with his mother, this gift of myrrh, as much as it is a reminder of his royalty and his divinity and of his anointing and his healing power, it is a reminder that he would go to the cross, that he would die, that he would give his life for us. It says in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he feared the Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took away the body. And he accompanied, and he, accompanied he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at, at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. He brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Even the way in which Jesus was buried was not common. That there was 
there was a lot of lavishing. There was a lot of uh, extra. (laughs) Because he was no ordinary man. And so here we have Jesus, the child, being presented with myrrh. That tells us, because we can look back in history and we can, we can see the significance that Jesus was born to die. That Jesus came into the world to give his life, to lay down his life for us. See, the gift of myrrh pointed towards the death of Jesus. And that's huge for us. Because... Without the birth of Jesus, we don't have the death of Jesus. And without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we do not have life. We, do not, we cannot be reconciled to the Father. And here's the amazing thing, church. All of these things that were given to Jesus, that were gifts given to Him, the divinity, the position, the anointing, the set-apartness, the healing, all of these things because Jesus exemplified them because Jesus did what he did and walked the path that he walked are available to us. Because Jesus was born and because he died and because he rose again, that you and I are called sons and daughters of God, which means we are royalty. You are royalty. The Bible tells us that in the same way that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, that we can be anointed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to minister the way that Jesus did, and in Jesus' own words, to say that we would do even greater things in His name. That we've been set apart. That we can bring healing to the world around us. That the people in our lives that are hurting, the people in our lives that are lost, that God empowers us to bring that, to the, 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 the word of healing and, and, and of restoration and reconciliation, that we bring that with, that with us, that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God everywhere we go, that we can declare that. And that we can live our lives in a sacrificial way. Now, we don't have to die on a cross because the death he died, he died once and for all. It is finished. But Jesus calls us to live our lives in a way that would say that we need to die to self. That when we're reborn in Jesus, when we give our lives to him, that we are called to die to self and to sacrificially live for him. That in this simple gift, this precious gift, this valuable gift given by the Magi, there's so much depth and value and encouragement for us to live for Jesus. Let's stand together as we close. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the final gift not one that was presented by the Magi, but one that was given to us by God. But as you go through this week, would you consider these things? Would you consider, would you pray about, would you remember the gifts of the Magi? Would you remember the significance? Would you remember and meditate on the fact that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God? Would you remember... And meditate on the fact 
that you are anointed, that you are set apart because of the work of Jesus, that you have been empowered to bring healing, especially at this Christmas time, Christmas season. So often the Christmas season is a place where in the midst of celebration, our pain is really the most pronounced. Stepping into family environments that are difficult. Could it be that this year God's saying, I'm going to allow my, my healing power to flow through your life in those situations and those circumstances? Like the balm of Gilead. Gilead like, a, like the myrrh, the anointing, the anointing oil of myrrh that would just bring peace. That the power of Jesus would flow in your life in that way. That this Christmas that he's calling us to live sacrificial lives. That he stepped out of heaven, that he came to earth willingly, knowing that he would go to the cross. And that he calls us as his sons and daughters to follow suit, to live for him. To serve and not be served. To give our lives. So Jesus, this morning, we're thankful for the reminder of the myrrh of who you are. The fact that you're set apart, the fact that you're our healer and that you're our savior. And we give you praise for that. Thank you, God, for the reminder of scripture this morning. Lord, that points us back to the things that are most important. Lord, even as the the myrrh had such great value, Lord, we're, we're reminded, Lord, there's things in our lives that we would place and put in a place of value and esteem. And God, I pray this year, through this Christmas season, Lord, if there's anything that has taken your place in our lives, anything that we have put ahead of you in our relationships with you, God, that we would reconcile that, that we would rectify that, And that we would worship you as the the wise men did. We would worship you as the king of the Jews, as our Lord and Savior, with everything that we can bring to give you honor and glory and praise. We love you, Jesus. In your your precious name we pray. Amen. Our, Our prayer team is available to pray with you this morning after service at the back. They'd love an opportunity just to agree with you in prayer. But let's close this morning as we sing.